Second Samuel chapter five, a truck driver was driving and he miscalculated while attempting to pass under a bridge. His truck became wedged between the road and the bridge. And to no avail, he attempted to back up the truck and nothing happened, of course. Others were trying to help him. They were looking on and trying to identify solutions to the problem. This is something that we're a little bit familiar with here in Kansas City. There's a, a bridge in particular where this happens quite a bit. And so as they're looking at this and trying to uh, remedy the situation, they really came down to two alternatives. Either we cut off the top of the truck or we chop into the bridge. Either one of those are good options, but what else can we do? A little boy looking on asked, why don't you just let the air out of the tires? Out of the mouth of babes. Growing up at the Kansas City Baptist Temple for many years, I was exposed to mighty men of God. I would sit and I would listen to them preach and I would, I would watch them lead and, and I was mesmerized. I was, I was kind of in awe of how wonderful God used them. They were giants in my eyes. In my mind, they had reached a plateau that if given 10 lifetimes, I, I would never even scratch the surface on. I, I, I could never ascend to that level of leadership, that level of maturity, that level of, of Bible knowledge and all of that. And I think we can observe leaders and conclude those same things, right? You know, in our minds subconsciously, maybe they come from really special stock. They know things that we could never learn and God elevates them because of that. I mean, God is using them because they are the best of the best. They are the spiritual elite. They're special forces spiritually, and all we can do is just observe and just go, wow. Today, with the Lord's help, I want to simplify this very large and massive topic called leadership. Who is it that God uses and the answer I think that we're going to see as we begin walking through 2 Samuel chapter 5, I think the answer is going to be as simple as, why don't you just let the air out of the tires? It's not as large and unreachable as we think it is. It's not that there are some people who are just so special and so gifted, and because of that, God elevates them and God uses them in ways that are off limits to the rest of us. This is going to be really simple because what we're seeing here in 2 Samuel is we're seeing God use a man who was after his own heart, big clue there, and God was using him in a mighty way. This man was going to become the king over God's people. But the things that we're going to observe as we begin walking through this, I promise you, they are absolutely within reach for everyone under the sound of my voice. Verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. So we can say at this point, the nation has come to its senses. Finally, 
They wanted a king like all the other nations in 1 Samuel, and God gave them that. That led to them getting Saul, a man, by the way, who was not after God's own heart. He was after his own heart. After his passing, with the exception of Judah, the nation embraced the campaign of Abner and Saul's son, Ishbosheth, two men who also were not men after God's own heart. With both men unceremoniously removed from the scene, it was clear to the nation now, as it should have been from the beginning, that God's will is always best. What is it that God desires? Well, then that's always the best thing. It's not what I want or what I desire or what I even think. It's what is it, God, that you have made very plain and clear in and through your word? Well, then that's what I will do. That's how it works, or at least that's how it should. So the nation turned to David and pledged their allegiance to him as their king. We are thy bone and thy flesh. In essence, they were saying, we are your body. We are you, and you are us. Very much like marriage, we've spent several hours this weekend looking at bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, that is, my wife is as much me as I am me. One. These opening verses are absolutely saturated with Christ in typology, with the opening verse clearly pointing to his millennial reign. Consider Hosea chapter 1 and verse 11. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. The day of Jezreel refers to the national salvation and restoration of the nation of Israel during the millennial reign after the second advent of Jesus Christ. Judah and Israel, which have been scattered, will come together, be joined together as one under their head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand from John chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. As his people, as a nation, they will receive him. They will come together as one and appoint him as head over them. And this is pictured for us in verse 1 as all the tribes of Israel, not just Judah to the south, but all the tribes of Israel, the nation as a whole, appoints or appointed David as their head. The language in verse 1 also pictures the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Ephesians 5.30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. As his body, we are his flesh and his bones in this age. So what we see in verse 1, very clearly and very strongly, is there is an emphasis on the family of God. And that's big. That's big. Which brings us to our first observation regarding who is it that God uses? I mean, who, who is it that God is going to use particularly on the platform of leadership? 
who is it that, that God is going to use to be um, an influence, to lead his people, to affect groups of people, maybe in large numbers? Is it someone who is, is just, again, so gifted and so great? No, here it is. It's someone who is all about family. Someone who's all about family. Verse 1 was God's will from day one. That Israel as a whole would recognize and embrace David as their king. He was the Lord's anointed. And because David was a man after God's own heart, he was all about this as well. If you observe and you study leaders that God uses mightily in the local church, you will find that they are all about the family of God. Their relationships, their identity, their time, their finances, their activity, listen, will be deeply vested in the local church. Deeply vested. You will see that. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand that the view of the local church, the view of the local church today amongst those who claim to be saved is becoming alarmingly low. And listen, I I am always, I, I think you should always be concerned when your value system is not in alignment with God's. In other words, God says this is a 10, but your life says this is a 1. Wherever that is true and real in your life, now you have an issue. What what was the rhetorical question that Amos asked, one of seven? There in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. You're not in alignment. The local church from the mind and heart of God, is very important. I would even say it is more important than your home. It is more important than the civil government. You say, oh my goodness, please validate that gladly. What was the first God-ordained institution? It was the home, for sure. But what did Jesus say he was going to build on the rock? Was it the home? Was it the civil government, the church? What did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth? It is the support and foundation system that every believer has to have in order to thrive and be healthy. But here's the issue. It was estimated that 60,000 churches, or 20% of churches in America, could close their doors because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Only 52% of churchgoers said that when COVID was over, they wanted to return to primarily in-person worship. Not a high view of the local church. That information says that someone, or a lot of people that is, believe that the local church is optional, something they can take or leave. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, 
yeah, it's, I mean, I just kind of go when I can go. I, I kind of, I give when I can give. I serve when I can serve. I, I just kind of dip in and I dip out. Can I say graciously to you that that is, listen, highly offensive to Almighty God. Highly. Here's why. The Bible tells us that God purchased the church with His own blood. So that tells you and me the value that He places on it. God says it means enough to me, it's, it's, it's worth enough to me that, that I bought it, I purchased it with my very own blood. And you treat it as if it's nothing. As it pertains to leadership in the church, notice how the Apostle Paul spoke of a man, a leader at the church at Corinth. How Paul spoke about this man and his family, 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that is, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. So Stephanus and his family was one of the first families to receive Christ during Paul's first missionary journey, and they were also baptized by him, but he described them as being addicted to the ministry of the saints. This wasn't just Stephanus, but it was Stephanus and his household. Stephanus and his family were all about serving the Lord's family, the church. Husbands and fathers, I have a question for you. Are you a Stephanus? Are you a Stephanus? Is this how you lead and oversee your home? Here's the question. Husbands, fathers, is your family addicted to the ministry of the saints? I'm not talking about, do you attend church whenever you can attend church? I'm not talking about, you know, do, do you serve whenever it's convenient and works out for your schedule? I'm not asking that. What I'm asking is what the Bible says, is your family addicted to the ministry of the saints? If your family is not addicted to the, many of, to the ministry of the saints, what are they addicted to? Whatever that is, husband, father, I need to inform you that you will give an account for that at the judgment seat of Christ. I tell you, one of the things that was, and not that I'm a, I've made peace with the fact that I never was a heartthrob, and I'm not a heartthrob. Well, in the eyes of one, I'm a heartthrob to this day, but that's all that matters. To one perfect one, as we heard this weekend, okay? But when I was at that stage in my life, as I was trusting God for a mate, 
I remember the conversation as if it was yesterday. Lori, I love you, but you will never be number one in my life. And I have no desire to be number one in yours. Not to mention, I'm not trusting God for a wife um, that is just going to be so needy and she's got to make sure that she's happy and that, 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 that we, we, got, we have the perfect home and, and we've got the perfect vacation and we, we've got this magazine life. And I can just serve God with whatever I have left over. That, that's not me. <laughs> if that's your heart, hey, this is, I understand. I'm sure there will be someone that, but God saved me. God has called me. I don't have the option to not serve God with my life, with my best, not my leftovers. And praise the Lord, as we heard this weekend, I mean, man, this is my help meet. She is there. She is with me in the trenches. She's in it. I mean, man, she, she helps and she covers and, I mean, she brings things to the table that keep me upright, keep me sane, uh, keep me, I mean, keep me uh, focused. Man, I'm, I'm thankful she doesn't complain. She doesn't whine. What about me? You're just, you're just always so busy. You're, you're just, it's just always, how can I help you? What do you need from me? Man. Not to sound important, I am not. But one of the first things I consider before appointing someone to a position of leadership in ministry is, do they love this family? Do they love this family? If they do, they and their family will be here faithfully. They will tithe faithfully. They will serve faithfully. And as imperfect as this family is, they will love this family faithfully. Absent those things, they can be a Bible scholar. I will pass. No, thank you. God will use leaders who are addicted to the ministry of the saints. Okay? We can all do that, right? Okay, verse 2. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. By this time, David had built a very obvious leadership resume before the nation, us out and broughtest in Israel was an expression of David's leadership in battle. He had led them out in battle and he had brought them back in victoriously. The nation had seen that. We see that back in 1 Samuel, of course. But before then, he had shown himself faithful as a keeper of the sheep. And this is so critical. And this is critical for all of us, but especially men. Would you consider 2 Samuel, or Psalm, that is, Psalm 78, verse 70. He chose David, 
also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the wheat great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. I'm afraid that for some, their perspective of leadership has been tainted by the world, especially men. They envision leadership as a platform for prominence and adulation. Right? In other words, this is a platform where I get to express and show my greatness, where I, I get to lead in such a way where people are just mesmerized by me. They are so very impressed with how great I am. And, and that type of leadership, it, it, it's really focused on how many people you can get to serve you. It's very carnal. It's very selfish. It's very vain. Whereas the kind of leader that God is looking to use is someone who is all about how many people can I serve? And with God, leadership always starts with someone showing themselves faithful in the smallest of things. The smallest of things. These are people who in their heart and in their mind, there is no job that is beneath them. They will take a broom as quickly as they'll take a mic. And they'll see no difference between the two in value. So, who is it that God uses? What type of leader does God use? Who, who is it that God's going to appoint to this great platform of leadership and influence? It will be someone who is all about humility. All about humility. God chose David his servant. His servant. There were not a lot of lights and cameras focused on the sheepfolds. I've heard it said before by Brian Clark, I couldn't agree more, the new virtue in America today is fame. Make a name for yourself. Blow up. Be a big deal. Yeah, I, I, I would, and, and you know, I, I would love to serve the Lord, but I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. That right opportunity is not the mop or the broom, is it? The right opportunity is not changing diapers in Kid Town. It's not that, is it? It, the right opportunity is not showing up for a cleaning day at the church. There are no lights, no cameras there. Herding sheep was not glamorous. But listen, what the lights and cameras did not catch, the eyes of God did. Amen. They always do. And God saw a young man who was faithful to what he had been entrusted with, sheep. 
which told God how this young man would shepherd God's sheep. Listen, the most qualified people for ministry leadership are those who are not impressed and preoccupied with themselves. Those are the most qualified people for ministry leadership. They are not impressed with or preoccupied with themselves. I've heard it said before, I couldn't agree more. Real humility is not thinking too high of yourself. It's not thinking too low of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself. I simply don't matter. And I'm I'm not talking about uh, some self-degradation. I'm not talking about some false humility. I'm just saying that the, the kind of leader that God is going to use on this platform is going to be someone who is just simply so caught up, so preoccupied with God and God's people that they just don't have room, interest, time, energy to be focused and wrapped up on themselves your worst enemy. Your worst enemy is being intoxicated with yourself. You just, for some people that is, it's just they, they cannot stop thinking about them. And what it is that they need and what, what they're owed and, and what they're not getting in marriage and what they're not getting from their church. And, and, and they need this over here and that over there. Listen, I've said it before. The happiest person in the world, the happiest people in the world, the most content people in the world, are genuine servants. You know why? Because the only thing that is owed to them is the opportunity to serve others. That's all they think about. A servant never shows up saying, okay, I'm here, what you got for me? A servant never walks into a room, sits down, and they're upset because no one said hi to them. Servants don't think like that. No, a servant walks in the room, and a servant says, okay, I'm here. Where's an opportunity to serve people? Who can I be a blessing to? It might be their first time here. Hi, good morning. My name is Kenny. What's your name? Jim. Jim. Nice to meet you, Jim. (laughs) You would think, I've been attending here for a year. But that's how servants think. Listen, we just spent how many hours, dollars to talk about marriage? How many people are married in life? Mostly everybody. If you're not married, I want you to know you matter. You're not a second-class citizen in life fellowship, but we do have a lot of married couples. Okay. How many of you who are married would love to have an incredible, godly, Mutually edifying marriage. Would you raise your hand? Okay. I'm going to save you 
We don't even need the marriage retreat. Okay, you ready? Summary in one line. Summary in one line. Here it is. You ready? Be a servant. Be a servant. Decide, I am going to serve Lori Morgan no matter what. She owes me nothing. I owe her everything. That's it. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 2, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own own lips. So I will do that. Some of you might not know, but Todd Franks is an ordained pastor. You raise your hand for a second, Todd, those who don't know you. So some of you don't know that, but Todd is an ordained pastor, and uh, the Lord led the Franks to MBT and to Life Fellowship, and I'm glad for that. I've walked with Todd now closely for about three years and counting, and that's been an enjoyable three years. And one of the things about Todd that I have appreciated, because I was watching it, I was watching it, um, one of the things that I am very observant in ministry, I, I watch, I don't mean that to say I'm critical, but I am observant. I'm responsible. I have to be. I have to know the state of the flock that God's given me. So you watch people. You do. You, you watch their testimony. You watch their attitude. You, you watch all of it. You watch their faithfulness or lack thereof. But one of the things I, I really appreciated, and I still appreciate to this day about Todd, was, and I was watching for it, is he walked through the door as Todd Franks, not Pastor Todd Franks. He never asked for a certain position, he never asked for the mic. He never let me know in private conversation that, you know, if you, if you really want to take Life Fellowship next level, um, you might want to get out of the way. <laughs> you might want to give me the mic, bro. I know you're trying. God bless you. Man, you're a sweet dude, but uh, they, 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 they need to hear Pastor Todd Franks. As a matter of fact, the first thing that he did, I'll never forget it, because I was watching. He attended an all-connections meeting and signed a form that says, hey, I'll, I'll be a greeter. And that's when I said, hey, let's talk. Now, Todd will be the first to tell you that he is made of flesh, just like me, so he's a work in progress. But that hard attitude said to me, this is someone that God can use in ministry leadership. That's a hard attitude <laughs> that God's looking for, and because that's what God is looking for, it's what I'm looking for. Please, an attitude of entitlement is grievous to God and hinders our progress in ministry. It does. Okay, watching the clock. Verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over 
Israel. So this was the third anointing of David, if you're keeping score, right? He was anointed by his brethren back in 1 Samuel 16, 13. We saw in 2 Samuel chapter 2, he was anointed by his tribe, the tribe of Judah. And now here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3, he is anointed by Israel as a whole. But David made a league with all the elders of Israel, and by doing so, he was making a league with the nation as a whole. This word league was translated as covenant 265 times in your Old Testament. So this is giving us insight into the strength of this word. Doctrinally, this points to the new covenant that God will make with Israel during the millennial reign of Christ. Consider Jeremiah 31 and 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So not the covenant at Sinai, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. But at this point, historically, David and the nation were unified beautifully, wonderfully. It's what God wanted. It's what God wants. So here's the thing. God seeks to use someone who is all about unity. That's who God is seeking to use. Someone who is all about family, all about humility, all about unity. Someone that is all about keeping God's family together. Over the years, I've had a few job interviews. Maybe you have too. One of the questions I remember being asked goes something like this. I would imagine you've have this question yourself if you've been interviewed for a job. How do you feel about working with others? Or something like this. Can you talk about a time where maybe uh, you had to resolve conflict with your coworkers? Tell us about that. How did you handle that? Anybody ever get a question like that in an interview? I, I, I have. The purpose behind the, that line of questioning is to for this employer, what they want to discern is how well can you work with others? What do you think about working with others? How do you deal with conflicts? That, that's going to happen, right? We talked about that this weekend as well. The candidate might be very qualified to do the job, but doing the job calls for working with others on a team, and if someone can't do that, they might be very qualified in terms of being able to do the job, but if they can't work well with others, they're actually now disqualified, right? Again, I understand that I am flesh and I am not a big deal, and that is sincere. I mean that. I'm not trying to be fake. I say that to say this. The Lord has appointed me to a position of oversight 
within his church, and with that comes the responsibility of having to make decisions about who is serving in different areas of ministry leadership with me. I don't take that lightly, but you should know one of the things that I look for is how well does someone work with others? Can they do that? Can they work well with other people? Someone can be gifted, eager, and willing to serve, but if people get heartburn after spending 15 minutes with them because they are inflexible and they complain about every single thing and they're just hard to be around, well, then I am content to let them sit and listen as long as they need to until there's been a spiritual heart transplant. Listen, you cannot lead people like that because they will not faithfully follow. We talked about the house of Stephanus earlier. I want to look at that again by going back to that. And, and, I, and I want to call us as we look at this, we're, we're coming down the stretch here. But, but I, I want to go back to that, and, and I want to look at the rest of the story, if you would. And in doing so, I want us, if we could agree, to say, starting with me, like, Lord, this is who I want to be. This is who I want to be at home. This is who I want to be at work. This is who I want to be in ministry. This is who I want to be. Would you look at it? First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17. Paul said, I am glad. Let's just stop right there. This is the Apostle Paul. What could have made him glad? Wouldn't you like to know? What could, what was it that made him glad? I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. So these three men traveled uh, from Corinth to Ephesus over 100 miles. Not an easy trek during this time. I mean, that's nothing today. You can drive that in a short time. But travel was much different then. But they go to Paul, which is where he wrote this epistle from in Ephesus. And by coming to him, they restored the support from the church of Corinth to him. But notice how he spoke about these men. So I was glad that they came. I was glad they came. They refreshed my spirit. They were a blessing to me. They were an encouragement to me. Do you think Paul enjoyed leading those men and serving the Lord with those men? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those men were a blessing to him, and not only that, they were a blessing to the church. They were the kind of people that when they show up, you're like, man, I'm so glad they're here. Can I tell you? One of the best parts of my day 
during the week in the office is when Sam gets here. And Sam walks by, and I, I mean, I, I kind of know his step rhythm by now because he walks right by my office all the time. I kind of know what time he gets here, so I, that's, that's Sam. And I'm just, it's like, Sam's here. Like, man, good to see you. It's, it's good morning. How you doing? What's going on? Like, I just, I, I want some. That's Sam. That, he, I'm refreshed. I mean, he refreshes my spirit. I, I'm always glad at his coming. He's a sweet man. He's a Barnabas. He's a lover of people. He's an encourager. He's pleasant. Even in hard moments, he's still sweet. He's gracious and kind. Like, that's Sam. I want to be that kind of believer. I never want Sam to be like, oh, man, would you just take a sick day? Just stay home. <laughs> hey, can, can, you, can we hear this? Can I hear this? The Lord values unity as much as he values giftedness. I wonder if we understand that. For us, giftedness tends to be the bottom line, right? What can you do? How can you perform in ministry? How much Bible do you know? How well can you sing? How well can you administrate? Oh, man, you're really good at that. Great. Go. Yeah, but can you work with people? Can you love people? Can you be an encourager to people? Can you refresh the spirits of people and administrate very well and preach very well and sing like an angel? I am burdened for all of us to walk away today with the desire to be this kind of believer. If that is our testimony, we will be the kind of person that God can write his version of 2 Samuel chapter 5 in these opening verses. God can write that version of that in our lives. If we are all about the things that we're looking at this morning, all about family, all about humility, all about, and I'm drawing a blank, unity. <laughs> this is part one. Part two, just FYI, part two will finish next week. I'll be in main service, so I'm going to carry this into main service. We'll finish this out next week. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. May we hide it in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.